All right, all right. How's everybody doing tonight? Come on. Oh, we could do better than that. How's everybody doing? <laughs> yes, Taylor. I like that, Taylor. Yes. Hey, um, I'm so excited to, to be here. I don't know if you've noticed, but we've got like a new, a new layout, right? And um, man, there's, there's some minds that get together. Shout out to Hector. He's like, hey, I think we should do something a little bit different. We got a stage back here. Let's make something happen. And so Hector just kind of dreamt this up. It was his vision. And then we made it reality. And now we're going to fill it, right? I, I believe, here's this, I believe we get, we're going to have to tear this wall down pretty soon. We're going to have to tear that wall down pretty soon because there's people that are going to experience not just to come to church. We don't need that. But, but to experience the power of Jesus, the love of God. To, and and, and if, if, if that's not you, you're like, I don't know about this whole God thing, then I know there's people that come just for the community, just come for the relationship. Just come for the people. And I believe that God will begin to do a work in your heart. So this is exciting. This is exciting. James said this when we were doing the huddle. We have a huddle every week at 420. You're more than welcome to come do it. We talk about what we're going to do. We talk about the vision. We talk about what's next for us. And, and James said this, and I, and I believe that was a word for us in our season. He said, not only has the, the physical layout of the church changed, but there's, there's going to be a movement that happens. There's going to be a change not only here physically, but relationships are going to continue to grow. The Spirit of God is going to continue to move here. And I know that might sound daunting. It's like, what is that? And even singing that song, anointing, like, what does that even mean? We want to talk through what that looks like. So be prepared for that. Be expectant for that. I don't know about you, but when I go to church, I just want to encourage you with something. Be expectant to know, like Kelly was saying, she, like, opens up her hands. When you go to, like, a hockey game uh, or when you go to a baseball or basketball game, you're, like, expectant for there to be some excitement, Right? And I want that to be the atmosphere that we carry here at Coin Church. I really believe that there's something to be said about praise. There's something to be said about getting excited. There's something to be said about getting rattled up. And that's just kind of like naturally me. So I, I want to bring that. Come on, James. James clapping for me. I want to bring that. I want you to like bring that back with me because it, it gets me pumped up. Because I believe that we should be a part of church that's exciting. Like, I, we don't have to be at a church that's daunting and scary and, and like that song, take me to church, I'll worship like a dog, you know that song? At the shrine of your lies, and it's like, it's so sad. That's not the church that I want to be a part of, right? I want to be a part of an exciting church, a church that changes culture. And so we get to be a part of that. And you guys are just here at the beginning, and it's, we're just getting started. So we're, we're, uh, we've talked about these last couple of weeks. We've been in a series called Next Steps. That we truly believe that everyone is on a next step. That their journey is progressing, it's growing, it's changing. And so our desire and our call and, and really our mission is to continue to grow. I do not want to be where I'm at now when I'm, when I'm in my, my 30s. I, I don't want to be where I, when I'm in my 30s. I don't want to be the same, same mindset, same understanding of God, same, same, same way that I give to God, same way that I'm generous with my life. And my, I want to be different when I'm in my, in my 40s. I, I want to be different as I grow and as I progress. And hopefully it's not a downhill prog like degression, right? Like a, a downflow or a decline. It's, it's I'm growing, I'm learning, I'm understanding. Something's happening in me and through me. I want to be the type of person, and I know some, Grandma Liz, where's Grandma Liz in the house? Come on, Grandma Liz. <laughs> I, honestly, I want to be like Grandma Liz when, when, I'm, when I'm in my, I call them the gray hair years. 
Because there's wisdom. <laughs> there's wisdom in that. But Grandma Liz is so fun to be around. She, she likes to go get food and, and flows and do puzzles at her house. And it's just so, it's, it's like there's something about growing and being excited about life and having joy. And that's what I want the, the community of COIN to be a part of. Would you agree with that? So we're, we're growing. We're next steps, next steps, right? So, so today, because I got, man, I got some stuff to talk about. And I feel like God just put this in me to talk through. And it's, it, there's, there's a lot of seriousness to this, this talk tonight. You see, because we've talked about, well, here, here it is. The theme verses of, of what we've talked about is, is in, it's in Proverbs. It says, if people can't see what, what God is doing, if you can't see what God is doing, they stumble. Say stumble. Stumble. They stumble all over themselves. And, and get this, it says themselves. It's, you're not, you might not be stumbling over, over outside extremities, outside issues, outside problems, but oftentimes it happens inward first. And you're stumbling over yourself. And I truly believe that there might be people in this room, you might say that is true to you, for you. I'm stumbling over myself. I, I thought I was in a better place, and then this happened. I stumbled over myself, and now I'm here. It says, but when they attend, when they attend, when, they, when their, their heart posture is different, when, they, you, you know, you attend school, you attend class, you attend church, when you attend, and it's more than just attendance, when you're active and proactive and you're desiring something more to what he, God, reveals, they are most blessed. And get this, this blessed isn't for prosperity or finances, though I wish it was, I believe there's, there's some icing on the cake for that type of stuff, but the blessed in this word means the condition of your soul. Your soul is blessed. So some of you might be stumbling. That's okay. You're stumbling, though. But I, I, want, I want to remind you, I want to fixate. Maybe, maybe you're looking down at all the brokenness in your life, and I just want to lift up your eyes to see God. Look at God. Look up. Don't look down at your situation. Look up at God and see that when he reveals something in your heart, in your life, he blesses your soul. But there's some steps. There's some progressive steps to this. Here's, here's the other passage of, of really our sermon series. It's Psalm says this, you will show me the way of life. Because I believe that's where everyone's looking, desiring, wanting. You want the, 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 the way of life. The scripture says, Jesus said, I came. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The way of life you will show me, granting me joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. You know what's interesting? I did this Google search when I was like, you know, working and processing through this, this message. You can do it yourself. If you just type in in Google, what, what am I searching for? Or what are people searching for? It's like this anthropology to our soul. Well, what, what am I searching for? What is it that I'm looking for? And nine times out of ten, I'd say ten times out of ten, what you'd find is we're searching for peace. Peace in the midst of chaos, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of, of crazy. I mean, all you got to do is turn on the news. Like, we're searching, desiring, yearning for peace. And I would say that that peace, it comes only from God, and it's that joy. It's the joy of his presence and the pleasures of living with him forever. So there's four things that we talked about. We're going to have it on the, the screen right here behind me. Um, the first is to know God. These are the steps. Just know God. Come to church. You don't know anything about God. You don't care about God. Our, our, our prayer, our desire, we're not trying to hide anything. 
We want you to know God. We want you to experience God. We want you to understand who he is. There's some levels to this. After that, after you know God, we, we want you to find freedom. After you find freedom, it is impossible to discover purpose if you haven't found freedom. Thus, it is even more impossible to make a difference, I believe, if you haven't found freedom, discovered your purpose, it's impossible to make a difference in this earth because you gotta know who you are. We talked about this, without a vision, my people perish, God says. So we need to have a vision. So tonight we're talking about freedom. We're talking about freedom. So, man, this is some heavy stuff because I believe, check this, I, I truly believe this. We talked about this just briefly last week. In, in the, the natural when you're here, you're, you stand up, you move around. In the natural, we're not hearing anything, but there's just like we're catching wind, right? I believe for a moment, if we were just trying to understand because we're, we're not only physical beings, I'm a physical human. I have a, a, a mind, a body, uh, limbs and blood and veins in, in my soul. Like I, I, I'm here, I'm a human, but we're also emotional. You can't see my emotions though, really. Sure, you can see it on my face. But the emotions, the depth of who I am, you can't really see that. You just see the physical. And there's also, not only is there physical, not only is there emotional, there's, there's the knowledge that you have in your brain, right? There's some logic up here. There's thinking up here. There's understanding up here. There's going to school and doing the work and, and hurting, uh, experiencing life. Trauma, trauma, the psychologists say when you have trauma, it affects your brain. And then... There's the spiritual. I'm a pastor, so I like talking about this part. But I believe if we could see or hear in the spiritual, there might be people in this room, when you move, you hear chains. Chains. And the reason why this is so important, the reason why we must, it is imperative, it is crucial, it is important that we talk about this. Because if you don't understand that, you might be living in bondage. You might be living a slave a slave to an addiction that maybe no one knows about, a slave to a mindset, a slave to an ideology. You might be slaves to something. And the problem that we face is we're, we're afraid to talk about it. We're afraid to bring it out into the open. But if you don't focus on the, the issue, if you don't work on that, you won't find freedom. But you need to, I, I wanna, I'm trying to teach you something we're going to break the bondage over your life. Some of you have bondage from a past. Some of you, I know this is, sounds weird, some, there's demons that know you more than you know yourself. Demons that come from generation, of, and, and, and that demon knew your granddaddy, and that, that demon knew your, your daddy, and now it's you, and you're like wondering, why, why, why am I struggling through the things that my grandfather struggled with? Why am I working through the things that my father had to work through? But I, I want to say at Coin Church, at church where the power of God is real, that you can break that thing off your life. Addictions, brokenness, alcoholism, suicidal thoughts, suicide where life ends too soon. Those are bondages. Those are, those are things that come over your life. And if you would allow it, if you don't understand the power that God has given you, you might miss it. And then you're stumbling, stumbling over yourself, just trying to, just trying to wake up and do it the next, stumble. But when you get a glimpse of who God is, there's levels to this. We're gonna talk tonight about finding freedom. It's imperative, it's important. You see, <laughs> I'm going to go old school tonight, too. 
We talked about, I asked this question last time, but just so I know, who like grew up in the church? You've been to church before. You grew up there. You were there. Sometimes it was weird. Sometimes it wasn't. It depends on what type of church you were a part of, what type of ethnicity you're a part of, right? Like, and what's interesting, what's interesting is that you have to understand that there's old school thoughts and practices. It was just delivered in the wrong, the wrong package. Or the, the, the way it was delivered was wrong. So if I was to deliver something to James and it was pizza, the, the box, old school, the way it was used to do, be done, he might not be drawn to it. It's like, man, this again? I went through, I know what that is. I don't want that. But, but when, when he opens up the box, it's pizza. It's the same thing. I believe that the way we grow, the way we mature, the way we progress is there are things that happened in the past. They're imperative. Things that are in the scripture, things that are in the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, theology, understanding the ways of God. Some of you might think that's old school, the power of God, the supernatural of God, the the movement of God, the spirit of God. Some Some of you, I have times thought that's old school, yet I believe it was just the way it was delivered wasn't the right way. For, for a generation, it, it, it made sense. But for us, it's got to be different. The package is still the same. What's inside it is still the same. So we're going to talk about blood tonight. Blood. The power of blood. Here's the title of my message tonight. When you find freedom, you find power. You see, there's power in the, in the blood, and there's power in the cross. I'll prove it to you. 1 Corinthians says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. I don't care about it. I don't want anything to do with it. It's foolishness. But to us, to those that are expectant, to those that want more, to those that are tired of stumbling, to us, to the church, who are being saved, it is, it says, the power of God. Revelation says this. Then I heard a loud voice. Now get this. You got the context. It's, it's, it's crucial. It's important. Revelation is the end of the Bible, right? Revelation. A lot of people don't want to read it. It's scary. It doesn't make sense. There's end times. It's Armageddon, fire and brimstone coming down. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't even want to read it. But the, the, the perspective, we, we say that, right? The perspective of Revelation, it's imperative to know it's end times. So there was a man named John. He was one of Jesus' disciples. He found himself on an island, and Jesus came to visit him, and he told him about the things that would happen, and there were visions that John would see. Would you know how to explain a helicopter 2,000 years ago? That's why when you read Revelation, it seemed like this. It's as this. There's metaphors. There's similes. There's allegories. There's there's different understandings. You have to read it and understand the context. So John says this to us. He says, then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. It has come at last. Salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser, say the accuser. Accuser, that's the devil, the enemy, the one who comes against you, the one who knows probably more about you than you know about yourself. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. He is so upset you're at church tonight. He cannot stand it. He cannot fathom it. He's going to lie to you. He's going to accuse you. He's going to say he knows what you did last night. He's going to bring that up to you. Every time that I come to get ready to preach at times, he accuses me. He accuses me. 
Whenever I'm trying to do something important that's going to change the course of, of my life, my family's life, he accuses me. Every time we're on breakthrough, every time we're on verge of something, he accuses me. He is the accuser. He cannot stand you. Even going to a soccer game on Thursday night. You can leave after that and get in an argument, you get in a fight, you get, there's just frustration. It's like, man, I, the, the enemy is out to get, to get us. Why? Because there's the natural here, I see, but just for a moment, I wonder what it would look like if we saw the supernatural. If we were to turn off the sound of the natural and, and, and listen in to another dimension of, of the supernatural, what would we hear? Not only what we'd hear, what would we see? The scripture says that there are angels and demons fighting on your behalf. Angels fighting on your behalf. I believe that there are angels that come and protect you at times in moments of life. That's why prayer is so important. That's why Jesus is so important. It's, there's levels to this. It goes deeper. John says this, For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. He does it all the time. I love this part, though. It says, and they have defeated him by the blood. They, that's the church, we. We have defeated him by the blood, but, but John sees this in end times. When it all comes to an end, he sees we, the church, the bride, the body of Christ, have defeated them. How? Not by a sword. Not by something natural, by something supernatural, by the blood of the lamb and their testimony. You all have a testimony here in this room. You've all gone through something, you're all going through something, and your word, your testimony can create common ground to someone else. And there's a connection, alcoholism, depression, anxiety, you can step out of those things and now you have a testimony. My pastor, Pastor Jack, he says all the time, don't let anyone tell you your testimony better than yourself. Know your story. Know that it's your story. Own your story. When you're in the marketplace and someone comes up to you and you're high on Jesus, tell them your testimony. Tell them what God has taken you through. Tell them what God has brought you out of and tell them that God can do it in their life too. The testimony, it's important. I don't know if you knew this, but 800 years before it happened, America's only over 200 years. Isaiah saw this. Now we're going to go into the blood. We're going to go into the blood, the power of the blood, the cross. Before we do that, I want, I want to explain something to you. I have, I have a couple minutes to do this. Do you know, before I was in my undergrad uh, courses and I was taking theology classes, I had to take what we call prereqs, right? And there's history and there's philosophy. There's different ones. There's electives. There's all that. And I took a class on, on the history. And, you know, it was like Mayan Aztec culture. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Everyone's talking about that. You know, maybe I am. Maybe I come from that. I don't know. I'm a Mexican. I might come from South America, all that, right? So I remember I took it, and it was so interesting. Watch this. Catch this. There was something about the Mayan slash Aztec empire, the Teotitian, sorry if I got that wrong. There, there's something about this type of culture years, thousands of years ago in South America. And they were incredibly religious people. Some of you have gone to the sites and seen the temples and, and how they would do things and all throughout history in the Old Testament and in the scriptures and not only in the scriptures but in secular books. What they would do is they would try to build as high as they could because they believed as high as they can go is to reaching their gods. So there were priests in the Mayan Aztec culture and they didn't just 
find something that was precious. They, they didn't find silver or gold, though that's important for their gods. They, they, they didn't just look at, at, at outstanding things. They didn't build a calf filled with gold. No, they, they, they knew and understood there was something about our blood that is precious and is, it's important to their God. So the story is told, some of you even know this, some of you, our ancestors did this. <laughs> the story is told, they were so incredibly terrifying that what they would do, not just four times a week or three times a week or twice a week, once a month or once a week, every single day, if they couldn't find someone outside of their culture or their camp or their tribe, a warrior that they fought and beat, they would bring them alive, take them to the, the temple, and they would sacrifice them for the what? The blood. And then, this, it gets even worse. They would take the heart, because the heart is the source of your life. They caught on to something, more than us. Some of us, them, they might know more than we do. There's something about the blood. They took the blood and it was beating, the heartbeat still beating, and they raised it up to their gods as a sign of this is yours. This is my offering to you. It's precious. It's more precious than silver and gold. It's the blood, the blood. And I know that sounds strange and weird and awkward and what, what are you talking about? But you know what's interesting is Jesus knew this about us. Why? Because blood equals life, doesn't it? When you go to a hospital and you're on your wit's end, they ask for, for, for a, and, and they can't find enough blood. They find it from someone else, the right type. The blood, the blood, the, it's important. And the scripture says that Jesus died for us and it was his blood that set us free. So we're going to do some teachings right now, all right? I have a couple minutes to teach you something. There's four things that I believe that God did on the cross, Jesus did on the cross, that's going to set people free tonight. You're going to go through it. Here it is. It says this in Isaiah. Now, this is a prophecy. We all know what prophecies are, right? If this is 800 years ago, and that's Jesus, in the time of Jesus, of Herod, and, and the Roman Empire is taken over, and now we're 800 years prior to that event, there was a man named Isaiah, a prophet, and he saw something, a vision, a vision. We know what a vision is. It's something that happens that hasn't happened before. He saw something. He saw this man on the cross who he believed and perceived to be the Christ, the God, and he saw him on the cross. And it says this. He recorded this 800 years before it ever happened. Looked it up. Look it up. You can do it yourself. Secularists will agree to this. It says this in Isaiah 53. But he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, we're all looking for peace, right, was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. There's four things in there I want to talk to you tonight about. I'm going to go through them really quick in chronological order of the time and the events that had happened for Jesus. I don't know if you've seen The Passion of the Christ. I don't know if you've seen an old school movie of when Jesus was on the cross. To be honest, the greatest depiction of what really happened in that time and culture is The Passion of Christ by Mel Gibson. I know some of you can't even watch the whole thing because it's so gruesome and gory and ugly and there's blood, there's blood, there's blood. There's something about the blood that was shed. So what they would do is when Jesus was in his, his last moment, get this, he knew he was gonna go through something. There are people in this room, you know you're going to go through something. What did Jesus do? The greatest uh, uh, 
person we should be following after. Jesus went to the Father and, and pleaded for peace for hope, for encouragement, for strength. And the night that he got betrayed by Judas, he, he, he went in the garden of Gethsemane, he was crying out to the Father. And then after that, the guards came and Judas had sold him out for, for silver, for, for money, not even a lot either. His best friend, Jesus' disciple, the one that he walked life with. I don't know if you know betrayal, but Jesus does. He was betrayed, and then the Roman soldiers came, and they grabbed Jesus, and they took him through, I believe it was eight or nine trials. And the reason why that's important, it's imperative, is in the time, if you're a historian, if you're all about context and culture, the reason this is important is in Roman law, you do not try someone at night. It's, not, it's against the law. Look it up. Roman Empire, do you try someone at night? You do not do this. But the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious people, they wanted to get Jesus so bad that they were willing to break the law of the Romans, and the Romans were okay with it. They took him through these trials at nighttime, all through the morning, probably 6 a.m. in the morning, and, and, and the last person said, all right, just, just, just do what you need to do, crucifixion. He did nothing wrong, Jesus. They couldn't find anything that he did wrong. The one thing that they got for, that he was doing was claiming to be the Lord. Jesus. Now get this. Either he was a lunatic, crazy, crazy, like psychotic, or he was the Lord. And so you get to choose in your heart, in your lifetime, is Jesus a real thing? Is he crazy? Is he a lunatic? I don't know. I don't know. Or is, is he Lord? Because if he's Lord, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to understand my Lord, the one who created me. And so then he ad, they asked him, are you the Lord? And he couldn't deny it. And so they, they, they took him, the Pharisees took him, and they, they begin the trials. They begin the brokenness. They begin the four things that I want to talk about. And this is the first thing, the most gruesome one, I believe. The Roman Empire um, used, they had perfected the execution. And I believe, get this, that Jesus looked at the humanity, he looked at the course of history, and he, and he looked, because he could have came at any time. He looked and said, where's the most gruesome, where's the most brokenness, where, where should I come to show the people that I created that I love them so much? And so he chose the Roman, he could have came in the Assyrian time, but they would impale him with the, they would impale him, right? <laughs> and they would, they would, they would pour, um, like candles, wax around the, the, the tree or the trunk, and then they would light them on fire, but it was too quick. The Assyrians, ah, that was too, it was too fast. So then the Romans, the Romans, they perfected that. So they said, let's put them on a cross so that they can't breathe. They have to push up, and then we'll suffocate them to death. We'll put them on a hill so everyone can see you do not do the things that they did. But Jesus didn't do anything wrong. So here's the first thing, the cat and nine tails. You can look it up, search it up, Google it. The cat of nine tails had four things to it. It was nine strands of leather, and within the lever is woven in bone, rock, glass, and wire. The most, the most uh, objects that is going to bring out the most pain when it's hit on someone. And then it's recorded in history. They would soak it up in water because leather hurts when it's wet. <laughs> and they didn't just, I don't know if you've seen that in some of the movies. That's why I think it's important to watch the passion. They grabbed it with two hands, and these big soldiers, big soldiers, buff soldiers, yoked out soldiers, would grab the leather, 
and with the cat of nine tails would, would whip it on the back of Jesus. And get this, they did it 13 times here over the, the shoulder, 13 times here over the next shoulder, and 13 times down the back. Adding that up, that's 39 lashes. They believed if you go any far beyond 39, it's outside of protocol, outside of the law. So it was to be 39 times that someone would get the whippings, the cat of nine tails. And they would, it would gouge in into the skin, and what they would do is they would yank it out. And the reason they did it, we're going to talk about it, they did it over the shoulders is because when Jesus was put up, imagine the pain, the agony, the nervous system. He had to use his shoulders to push off of his feet that were in the nail in the cross, and then his back was sliding against the, the wood and splinters, and your back's open, your spine is exposed. Many times, after the 39th time, the person was dead. Get this, it's, uh, I have this on the screen. The whip, here's, here's your freedom. The whip represents the freedom in my body. Why did Jesus die on the cross for you? What was his blood? What did it represent? What did the whip represent? Freedom in your body. And the echo from Isaiah is by his wounds we are healed. So some of you might have uh, disease on you. Some of you might have sickness on your physical body and Jesus wants to heal you. I believe he wants to heal you today. And get this, if he doesn't heal you today for some, I don't know, I don't have a slightest idea why he doesn't. I've seen it happen, I see it, it doesn't happen. But I believe if you're not healed here, you're gonna be healed in heaven. By his wounds, you are healed. By the, the stripes, some of, some of the script, the passages say, by his stripes, we are healed. The pain that he endured for you, every slash was for you, for your physical body, for your brokenness on your body. Scripture says this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Here's the next point. After they did this, this was not protocol. They shouldn't have done it. They kind of took him to the Roman locker room, the green room. And the reason the Romans were upset with Jesus is because Jesus claimed to be the king over the Jews. But the Romans wanted to be king over the Jews. The Romans wanted to, un to, to have authority over all of the land. So they didn't like a guy that claims to be king. So what they did is they took him to the locker room. They took him outside, and they heard the stories of Jesus. They heard that he would heal people. They heard that he was supernatural. They heard that he casted out demons. They heard all about this Jesus. And so the scripture says that they put him in their locker room, and they, they covered his face, and they begin to slap him right in the face. And they'd say, who, who hit you, Jesus? If you're the king, if you're the prophet, who hit you? And they'd slap him and slap him. It's recorded in the scriptures. And then one of the Romans thought it was a good idea to get a, a thorn branch and to, to put it together in a crown because he claimed to be the king. And pretty thick, pretty, pretty long thorns. They gouged it in the top of his head. Not only was there blood coming out of his head, but there was blood rushing to his head. We know that by science, right? There was blood rushing to his head now. And now he has these thorns over him, and he's the king of the Jews. Here you go. So why is that imperative? Why is that important? The thorns are freedom in your mind. The punishment that brought us peace. I don't know about you, but I know there's people, I've met them, I've met, I've met I understand, I get it. There are seasons in my life where I've gone through moments of depression, but never depression. It, depression is never on me. And, and we need to change our language. You 
are not a depressed. You're just going through depression. Because once you give the accuser the power to say you're a depressed, we're giving him too much authority. But there's people in this room, you need to find freedom in your mind. Your mind needs to change on some things. The way you thought about church needs to change on some things. I don't want to go to church because I don't want to pay. You always ask for money and stuff. Change your mind on it. You don't need to give. If if you don't want to give to the church, we'll start putting out different charities to give to. Don't let that be an excuse for your greediness. Sorry, that was, that was, that was heavy. I'm, I'm sorry. But here's the thing. If God wants you, Jesus wants you to have freedom in your mind, peace that surpasses all understanding, the peace of God. He came to bring you peace. He came that you would have peace. Scripture says this. John 14 says, peace. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace, his peace, I do, I give to you. I do not give you what the world gives. And and here's the thing, I'm not against medication. I'm not against the practices of the world. I'm not against being hospitalized for, for, for things going on in the mind. I'm not against those things. I just want to propose that it might just be a spiritual thing. It might be some spiritual ramifications because we're not just body or mind, we're soul. We're all interconnected. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus says, and do not be afraid. His peace he wants to give to you. I'd encourage you, let it be his peace. Here's the level. Maybe that's the next step for you. Walk in his peace. Read about his peace. Ask for his peace. Desire his peace. Understand that because of what he has done, he has already given you peace. You already have authority to have it. But you might be enslaved in your own mind and you don't even know you're free. Jesus has given you the keys to the kingdom. It's yours. You can have it. I want you to have peace. I want you to have power. I want you to be blessed. I want your soul to be blessed. It's yours, but you might be sitting in slavery because you haven't found the freedom that God wants to give you for your mind. Emotional intelligence. Have you heard of that? Man, I think that one's powerful. You should read it. Blew my mind away. I said, I don't don't have to worry about my IQ? Okay. Studies show EQ is more important than IQ. Do you know that? So you can put me in an environment. I might not be the smartest, but I'm strong up here because I know who gives me the strength. When, when the accuser comes my way, when people come my way, when they say I'm not good enough, when they say I'm not smart enough, I used to be so bad at math. I still am. And I used to, accuse, I used to get accused all the time by me, no one else but me. And then I had to start going. And then I went, you know, my mom was like, you should get a tutor. I went, you know what, I'm going to get an A or a B in this class, pre-calculus in high school. And I remember I went, I was so, I was so determined. It was my emotional intelligence to say, you know what, I know I can't do this like some people can but I'm gonna do whatever I can to make this happen. You might say, well, that's not a spiritual component. Sure, you might say it's not, but it's an emotional component, and God created your entire being. He knows your emotions. He knows your intelligence. He knows how much you can do, so he wants to give you the freedom in your mind. You guys get that? The next one are the nails. When they took them up to the Golgotha, the skull, the area, the location of the skull, where they took him up and the scriptures recorded in, in history that they placed it. He had to carry the cross, by the way, after all of the whippings. 
He carried it up. That was the custom. You carry the cross up. So he carried it up, and he got to the point where he just collapsed. He was too tired, physically drained and, and damaged. The nervous system's giving out. The body's giving out. The lungs are giving out. And the scripture says that the Roman soldiers, they grabbed his hands. Because in, in the, the Roman times, a hand is equated from here to here. That's why they would lock, shake hands like this. So we don't 100% know if it was here or if it was here. Regardless, I mean, if it was here, think about it. They'd have to tie the wrist because the nail's going to break through and rip through your hand. So they, they probably put it through the wrist or the hand, regardless, one or the other. And they nailed his hands in. Not only his hands, but his feet. And the foot, the feet was so that he could push off the hand so that he could push off. The Romans had understood it so well to a T. They wanted to, to break him in suffocation, break a victim in suffocation, break a murderer in suffocation. That was the trial. That was the damage. That was the issue. So Jesus had to, with every breath, push off. And the 13 slashes everywhere, push off and breathe. The nails, what do the nails represent? Pierced for our transgressions, Isaiah says. Says this, for I, was, I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Hebrews says this, just think of how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciousness from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. Jesus saved you from your sin. Why? The hands are everything that we've ever touched, the feet, every place we've ever been. And some of you, you have shame over you and Jesus has already forgiven it. He says he's forgiven it. <laughs> Literally. Like read the Bible, ask, ask Siri, what does the Bible say about forgiveness? The scripture says that Jesus, the Father, our God, remembers us no, the sins no more. And we're, we're earthly beings, so you know, I know when I'd mess up, my dad remembered. He remembered when I like broke the window across the street. He, re he remembers those things. And so sometimes we equate that with our earthly father, but the heavenly father, our God says, I don't remember that anymore. You're shaming yourself and I, I, have, I forgot that. You keep bringing it up, I forgot that. Everything that you've touched, all the damage you might have done, all the places you might have win, I have forgiven you and I don't see it anymore. And the last one, uh, the worship team, you guys can come on up. The last one is the one that's pretty near and dear to my heart. After he was on the cross, the custom went that they would die of suffocation. Sometimes they'd be there for days, days on the hill so that everyone could see him. They were naked, by the way. In shame. This is what you do in the Roman Empire. This is the, the, the cost you pay, price you pay. And the, the scripture says that the Romans, they didn't know if Jesus died or not because he kind of was just there. And, and the scripture says that they, they, would, they grabbed a spear and, and they wanted to check to see, they, they wanted to pierce the heart to just end it all. And the scripture says that they pierced the side and, and water and blood came out. Why is that important medically? Why is that important? Because, and this, this is what hurts me the most. Before Jesus, he didn't die of, of the, the stripes, the whipping on his back. He didn't die of the suffocation of the cross. He died of a broken heart. Jesus, your father, 
the one who created you, the one that knew you before you were even thought of from your mom and dad. He died of a broken heart. There was, there was water and, and blood mixed together. It had bursted in his body, his heart did. And why is that important? Because I know Isaiah says he's crushed for our iniquities. I know this is important because there, 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 there are people in this room that you've been crushed. Your heart's been damaged. There's a death that happened too soon. There's a son or a daughter that doesn't even care about God anymore. There's people in your life that crushed you. There's that dream you had that you just feel you, you never accomplished. You're crushed, you're crushed. There's that event in your life that you don't like talking about, you don't like bringing it up because it crushed you. And Jesus wants you to know that I went through all of that for you. I know what it's like to have a broken heart. My heart was broken for you. The iniquities that you've gone through, the crushing that you've gone through, the pain that you've gone through, I, I put it all on me. The spear is freedom in my heart. Surprised that he died so soon. They did that to him. Scripture says he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. That's Jesus. That's the God we serve. Some of you, this is so new to you, and I, I'm glad it is, because when I, when I, when this, when I, I there was a re revelation that took over my mind and my soul, I like, I, I'm a baby, so I just started crying. There's moments in my life where I, I recollect the cross, and I, I cry, I weep, because I say, God, you did that for me? And you didn't just do that for me, you did it for humanity. And there's something about the blood that gives power to us, there's something about the blood that gives power to you. You see, he had to go through it so that we can walk in it. And now that we're walking in it, we have victory. We have power. So we gotta understand that's why he went through those things. Get this, I understand this. I grew up in a time and generation where they hold up, you're going to hell, repent, repent, right? Or you're going to hell outside of Angel Stadium and like, Beach Boulevard, Main Street in Huntington, and I can't stand, I just wanna come up to those people and see, do you not understand love? We think, and there's people in, this, in this, this room, your generation, you've been robbed of your tradition. You might believe that Jesus just died on a cross for your sins. Yes, that's true. You wear a cross on your neck to remind yourself of Jesus. That's all great. There's nothing wrong with that. You have a tattoo on you somewhere of the cross. That's amazing. It's a reminder. But he didn't just die for your sins. He died so that you would have a future. He didn't die for your sins just for their sins. He died for your future, that you'd step into power, that you'd step into some type of anointing, that you'd step into an understanding in your mind, and he wants to give you freedom and freedom and freedom to do so. You guys, you guys got that? Is that good? I know that's heavy. Hey, we're going to finish with worship.